Arena, Oxford's definition. A level area surrounded by seats for spectators in which sports and other events are held. Fancy, eh? This is The Arena with Dave McIver and Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. There are certain topics that we hit on this radio station that make people kind of squirm and comfortable. And I think this is going to be one of those conversations that are going that will make some people go, ah, I don't know. Do we want to do we really want to talk about this? But I'm okay with that. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like some of these conversations, they need to be had, whether you like it or not, because they're happening in the real world anyways. I always look at it. If you can't accept change, then, you know, get out of the game. As far as I'm concerned, uh, games are changing at all times. Sports are changing at all time. And uh, elements within sports are changing at all times. And, and if you can't change and get out, and I think you, you see it in the way games are played these days. <laughs> A small example, you know, the old age that used to be the prime age in the NHL was 32 to 34. Well, now it's 25 to 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game changes. And, you know, that's not one of the examples we're going to be talking about today. But in general, that is where people need to either change or, or get out because change is the only way things happen for the better. So the question then becomes, which prefaces into what exactly we're talking about, why is there not an openly gay athlete in professional sports my silence gives you my answer i don't know No one. but beyond that the silence also says one other thing nobody wants to talk about it i and i hate saying that i really do because i think part of it is we kind of fuel it we as in the media and i hate using that term because i think that it's not it's not a pack mentality we don't decide on this but i think that when things change, the pack follows the change. Well, I think it's because sports are always so uh, s- strict and straightforward. Structured. Structured. You know, it, it, things don't change a lot in sport. So when it does or something out of the ordinary happens, of course, people in the media go straight to that story. But is that always right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you look at it from the standpoint of you look at how uh, John Cornish and his uh, his upbringing kind of came into the spotlight and people flocked to that story for a while. And then everybody kind of got over it after a while. Um, you look at uh, there's a young kid here in Calgary, Jarrett Dolan Anderson or Anderson Dolan. Sorry. Uh, same thing. His parents came up in the same kind of upbringing and everybody's, oh, my goodness, this is groundbreaking yet there's still an elephant in the room. We're going to address that elephant today, Joe. And uh, I think it's going to be a a pretty powerful conversation we have uh, in this episode. Yeah, judging by the conversations that have been had over the last week, and actually uh, this this young gentleman was on with Gord Gillies, I believe, uh, a few days ago, in fact. And we wanted to bring him on to kind of expand a little bit more because with Gord, he talked a lot about sort of his upbringing. But we wanted to go a little bit further and talk about sort of the future and whether or not or how we get to the point where it no longer becomes sort of the storyline in a sense. It becomes that accepted thing where everybody's like, yeah, not a big deal at all. So we'd like to welcome to the program Brock McGillis. He's a former junior hockey player here in Canada. Uh, He became went pro for a little while, but he's kind of over the last few years uh, really opened up about his story. 
in the article that I'm reading, the very first line, it says, as one of the only publicly gay former pro hockey players in the world. And the sentence goes on. But I want to ask you this. Why do you think you're one of the only publicly gay former pro hockey players in the world? Actually, I think in that sentence, I was being um, uh, a little, uh, I don't know, being a politician or something, because the reality is, to this point, I'm the only one I've ever heard of. I think it's the culture of hockey. Um, It's the language being used in locker rooms. It's this idea that to be a hockey player, you have to be this macho man. And if you're gay... You can't be that because uh, growing up in the sport, players put each other down by using homo-negative language. They call each other fags or different things like that. And it's almost like you're less than a man. You're less than a hockey guy because you're a fag or they feminize one another. Mm -hmm. How difficult was it for you dealing with those locker rooms and with those sentiments on the ice day after day? You know, and I became almost numb to the words, and I used them myself. Like, I, I tried to immerse myself in the culture and fit in as much as possible. But I think for me, it was, I got it in my head that being that is bad or wrong. That I couldn't be the hockey guy that I was and, and, you know, I lived in OHL cities or professional cities where, you know, you're a celebrity in a sense. So I, I was known, especially I'm from a small town in Northern Ontario or a small city. Um, and you're known as Brock McGillis hockey boy. And then it's like, well, I can't be that and gay. So then I resented being gay. I hated it. I suppressed it. I denied myself. It, and it was all because of that language, that language taught me that being gay was bad or wrong. And Brock, it's, uh, I, I know from experience, I grew up playing hockey just like you and, and regrettably and something I you know don't like about myself now to this day is I use those words. And, and one thing I notice is it's how young kids are learning the words. And, and I just want to know how, how you think we get, we get at it at a young age where, you know, kids are maturing younger and, and, and becoming more accepting. I think the issue in, in, in and it's twofold in Canada. Um, number one, hockey is very insular. So, um, you know, it's a world where it polices itself. Um, all these kids that play hockey hang out with other hockey players they move away to play junior their only friends in the the communities they move to are typically the other hockey guys it's all they know immediately when they move there so they develop habits and feed off each other you become a product of your environment and because of that they start sharing the same language sharing the same beliefs they you know you can go to any mall or anywhere in Canada and you can pick out the hockey players. I can go to a mall in Canada and I'll be like, he plays hockey, he plays hockey, she plays hockey. You can just tell the way they walk, talk, dress. Um, and then the problem goes even further because then they grow up or they have their, their junior age, they have younger siblings and they hear that language, the younger siblings hear that language that the older players are using and then they start using it. And then it gets, you know, thrown around their dressing rooms. 
So before you know it, that whole group's starting to use it. And then their peers here, and it just continues to spread. Eventually, those kids grow up. They have kids, and hockey kids are usually the product of hockey parents. And they have little hockey players, and now, you know, they're basically using the same language, and, you know, that that cycle just repeats itself. And on top of that, then you have the coaches are typically former hockey players. So they're talking the same way. And it's just this vicious insular cycle that just continues to repeat itself. And these kids, especially the younger ones, the junior and below, have such an influence in Canadian culture. I've gone to smaller communities where the top hockey player in the town bought a certain type of hoodie that nobody had heard of. Within two weeks, the entire high school had it. So if they're copying what he's wearing, they're going to copy what he says. They're going to copy how he acts. And and now, all of a sudden, everyone's using that language. So hockey has a major impact, not only within hockey, but on our culture. So where do we go to kind of attack the mentality? Do we go to, you know, parents and coaches and, uh, you know, older players? Or, or do we go, you know, and, and go to the younger players and try and educate them as young as possible? I, I'm a firm believer that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I mean, you can educate them, tell them why it's bad or wrong, and they might stop saying it. But we've seen examples, right? We saw Getzlaff in the playoffs last year or the year before. We saw Kevin Pillar last baseball season, um, you know, using language that was homophobic on either on the ice or on the field. And it's just so ingrained in them. They're just products of their environment. It's been said forever. How do, uh, They don't know any different. So I think we have to start younger. I think we have to start at junior ages, and that's kind of what I've targeted is uh, major junior teams. I worked with the OHL last year, and I'm hoping to go across the CHL moving forward um, and younger. And I think if we target those ages, because here's the other thing too, if a seven-year-old hears his mom or dad say something that isn't, you know, okay to say, whether it's sexist, racist, homophobic, whatever, that seven-year-old's going to go, dad, you can't say that, that's bad. And then maybe the father will go, geez, my seven-year-old's telling me what's wrong. Yeah. Like, I, I should probably switch what the, the words I use when my seven-year-old knows better than I do. So I, and, and then if that habit continues to be created, at, you know, if it starts at the age of seven and they learn that it's bad or wrong, maybe then we create the safer space for kids who want to play the game, who are different whether it's their sexuality, whether it's their gender identity, whether it's, uh, you know, based off race, um, uh, anything. And they go, they start coming out and they continue in the sport. And then it's just normalized that, oh, we have gay hockey players or we have trans hockey players or we have, you know, people of color. And, and you know, because sports, what, 90, 95% white. And, you know, we can continue to evolve it in so many different areas and and hopefully increase the talent pool and hopefully make it a sport that people enjoy who are, you know, in this country where you know, hockey is not only really our sport, but part of our culture. 
We're going to continue this discussion with Brock McGillis here on the arena. I am Joe McFarland. I'm Dave McIver. And we'll be back right after this. I'm Jock Wilson. And I'm Dave Rowe. There's nothing better than having the inside track, knowing more before anyone else does. That's what the Stampeder Podcast is all about. The Calgary Stampeder Podcast is not about the X and O's. We're going to take you inside the locker room. We're going to feature stories on your Calgary Stampeder players, alumni players as well. We're going to take you inside the coach's office. And hey, this podcast is about you, the fans. Look, Jock and I, Mark Steven, Greg Peterson, we travel with the team. We're on the sidelines and we're in every broadcast booth in the CFL with the game call. We know more. We're the radio voice of the Stampeders and having almost three decades of partnership with the team allows us to tell the stories you're just not going to hear anywhere else. The Calgary Stampeder podcast can be found in all your favorite locations like our website, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn. Here's Dave McIver and Joe McFarland, and you're listening to The Arena with, you guessed it, Dave and Joe on 770 CHQR. It's a tough discussion to have, but certainly one that we need to continue having. Let's continue our discussion now with Brock McGillis. Do you get the sense at all, Brock, that a change might be at the fore some point down the line when it comes to organizations and all? I'll use, and it's across all sports, but hockey's kind of the easy one to look at. Um, but I'll look at football as an example. And we had Michael Sam who kind of made his way up and then sort of disappeared into the ether. And there's that sense almost that teams are afraid of having, I don't want to call it a sideshow, but they don't want to have the media circus that is inevitably going to surround some of these players. They don't want it to be a distraction or they cloak it as being as a distraction. But yet you have teams and organizations now that are trying to get into the, the community now and whether it's uh, here in Calgary, the Flames uh, with Brian Burke, they were very involved with the with Pride Week festivals here and they had players uh, trying to become more involved and they had Pride Night and, and that kind of thing. Do you get the sense that maybe there is a bit of a shift happening from an organizational standpoint that at some point somebody's going to be that trailblazer that is playing in the pro ranks? I don't know. I I don't see the shift having happened yet. Uh, I think some of these events that teams are doing, they're nice, but it's almost a sense of pink washing. Mm-hmm. And and by creating this illusion that, oh, we have a Pride Night and we name uh, ambassadors for Hockey's for Everyone, that everything's fine. And is it, though? Because if it was fine, there's over 10,000 professional players playing annually and and stats have said that one in ten people identify as gay you do the math and those are old stats mm-hmm. newer stats are saying with the millennial generation that you know um, they're even more sexually fluid and and like 40% or 50% exper- or experiment with the same sex so I, I I just don't – I think we've created an illusion that things are okay, but it's not – it's like trying to build a house without a foundation. And I think we have to build that foundation first to teach people that 
what they say and do isn't okay and here's why and here's who you could be hurting. I was the straight hockey bro that was incredibly hyper-masculine, a womanizer and everything else, and I'm gay and struggled and was suicidal. So what they show to the media, and don't get me wrong, mm. any attention is good attention, and and we'll slowly shift things forward. But if if you're not changing the stuff that's behind the scenes, then you're not creating a true shift. So I, I think it has to be the stuff that isn't, you know, an NHL player walking in a pride parade. That's phenomenal, and that's groundbreaking, and, and, and it does take things a step further. However, if we're not changing language in dressing rooms, if we're not changing, you know, behaviors and attitudes and thoughts towards LGBT or minority groups as a whole, then it's really just fluff. So then uh, the, my final question on this then, uh, you mentioned that some of the stuff behind the scenes needs to change. I'm wondering what what would be that breakout moment or what would create help create that breakout moment for in your mind? I think getting um, people such as myself or Cheryl McDonald who ran the hockey conference um, who studies sexuality and uh, uh, professional hockey or homosexuality and professional hockey uh, and others who groups like a gal um, who are doing work to kind of shift that those thoughts those behaviors and I'm working with minor hockey, minor sports teams across Canada or the world, really. And and then uh, when you start seeing kids who identify as gay playing sports at the grassroots levels, openly without judgment, male team sports specifically, then I think you're going to start to see that, that to me, is the start of the shift. Because I've talked to many players, I, I've talked to kids who were drafted in the OHL. I've spoken to kids, uh, guys that have played junior, and they actually either quit right after AAA or moved to different communities away from where they were going to university and different things to play junior so that they would travel an extra hour and play a lower level so nobody would know that they had a boyfriend in where they were going to school. And just little things like that, when that doesn't have to happen anymore, when a guy like Michael Sam, and yes, Michael Sam had different stuff going on, but mm-hmm. when you're ranked in the, what, second or third round? Yep. And you go, was he the last pick of the draft or second last pick? Yep. You know, so he dropped four rounds because he's gay. When, when, when people stop saying that it's a distraction – because it isn't because you you're saying that I'm more of a distraction than the man who's abusing women a very uh, poignant way of of really putting it and and it I think uh, I think that that's probably a great way of ending uh, our discussion Brock thank you so much for uh, for doing this today uh, best of luck in all your travels and and hopefully we'll get to chat with you when you come through Calgary next Oh, my pleasure. I think I'm back there in the fall, so I look forward to it. Thank you. Wow. That, uh, 
that's a conversation that was well worth having, Joe. I know we've wanted to have it since uh, you know we came up with the idea of this show. And mm-hmm. man, as a as a guy who used to play hockey, uh, you know, you feel bad. Um, you know, you, you feel like you were an immature, you know, person growing up. And uh, I'm glad we had the conversation because I, I think it's going to open a lot of eyes to what really needs to be changed. Well, and I think the other thing too, like right at the very end there, is he really put it into perspective in terms of what's acceptable and what's not. And I mean, it's a discussion that I've certainly been trying to kind of stoke, I guess, in a sense in my own personal social media is we have that discussion about uh, Colin Kaepernick and how much of a quote unquote distraction that he's become because of the kneeling. And I'm sitting there going, there, there's a lot of different facets to it. And we can have the discussion about whether the anthem should be played and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, how is it that we are okay with a guy like Ray Rice or those kinds of guys coming back or even fathoming the idea of it, and yet a guy like Colin Kaepernick is blacklisted? And it's because, and again, and I know with Brock, he kind of, I don't want to say he called me out on, on the question because I think it is a legit question, is that I think that there are organizations out there who don't want to touch some of these social issues with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, I look at it just kind of the same way, Joe. It's just, you know, if you're if you're against a, an LGBTQ athlete becoming professional or being in a professional league or, for that matter, playing with your, your kid, um, you know, you got to look at kind of the track record of everybody because, you know, looking at the pro sports side, how are you happy... There's plenty of guys who have been con- convicted of domestic violence and go back and play mm-hmm. in the professional sport. How can you teach your kid that it's okay for that guy to play, but it's not okay for an LGBTQ athlete to play? I just, and I think that's what Brock's talking about. It's a, it's a mentality that's passed down um, to children, and you know, it's a, it's a culture. So, how do we change that culture? And I think Brock, you know, did a really good job of at least giving us some ideas to to get it changed. Well, and I think the other thing, too, at the end of the day is it it is an entire culture shift, right? Like, this is something that has been going on for ever since the dawning of sport, it seems like. And, and whether it was black athletes back in the day um, who they couldn't even play on the same field, you know, you'd talk about the Jackie Robinson story and that kind of thing. This I, I'm not comparing the two, but it's certainly the same air, right? Like, there's there's going to have to come at some point that monumental shift. And maybe it is the first one does come out, says, hey, I have been and feels comfortable enough to do it, goes through the media circus. Again, I, I we create that because it's, hey, it's changed. It's something different. But once that initial shockwave kind of leaves, then everybody else is kind of like, okay, cool. Next, right? Like, I, as bad as it sounds, that's sort of almost what needs to happen now because you can't say the awareness isn't there, right? Like, you can't say that people aren't at the very least talking about it now. And you have initiatives like you can play and that kind of thing that are getting to the grassroots now. It's not there yet. And I think that was sort of what I was getting out of that conversation with Brock is there's steps being taken for sure, but we're it's not, not there, yet. there yet. And we're not going to be there for a little while longer still. I think it is Joe, you know, for people who are against it is these are the points you need to get past. I think Brock did a really good job of explaining it where we need to get to. It's just, how do we get there fast enough? 
So that is going to do it for this edition of the arena here on 770 CHQR and wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google Play or tune in. Uh, we are still working on getting ourselves and actually the wheels have been put in motion on getting us uh, a full gamut of stuff that is under our name rather than on the uh, sports talk we page. talked to the higher ups this yeah, week. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're getting there. Uh, so by all means, head on over to when you're on iTunes or on Google Play. Uh, you have to search uh, Sports Talk with Jock Wilson, I believe, and that's where you'll find this podcast. If you want to listen to it again, listen to Brock's uh, great insight there. Of course, as always, uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the arena here on 770 CHQR. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode, and we're working on a few things. Uh, we kind of alluded to it last week, concussions is going to be a fun one. We're going to really dive deep into this. We're really, we've kind of gone down a bit of a rabbit hole, haven't we? Absolutely, we have. But it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting, and it's going to be a good little series of stories and, and guests and interviews that are really going to tap into, uh, you know, what is one of the biggest problems in sport. Fantastic. Dave, thanks so much for coming in and doing this. Hey, no problem, Joe. Uh, we'll have a good weekend, buddy. All right. Uh, you guys have yourselves a great rest of the weekend as well. Thanks so much for listening. This is The Arena on 770 CHQR and on your podcasts. I'm Joe McFarland. I'm Dave McIver. And we'll talk to you soon.